I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 431. And welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. Have you ever loved someone so much that you seem to run out of words to express it fully? Well, that's what Everything and More by Citizens is about. I had the privilege to chat with Zach Bolin, the lead singer of Citizens. And if you haven't had a chance to check out that special episode, it just dropped on Friday. Uh, Or you can watch it on my YouTube channel at Michelle Nizat. TV, if you search for Michelle Nees at TV on YouTube. And while it was fun to talk to the artist directly, I can't wait to share where this song inspired me to dig into God's Word. But before we jump into scripture, let's listen. If you've been a longtime listener, you know I often seek out the story behind the song to see if the artist was inspired by a scripture that I could use to explore. And you know also that I sometimes, I'm just a contrarian and I go where I want to go anyway, even if I know where the artist was thinking about specifically. Now, I had the privilege of asking Zach Boland, the lead singer of Citizens and co-writer on this song, what the story is behind this song. And here's what he had to say. Everything and More is a song that started off in a way, it came about in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, I was, I was, I guess I was just in, in a thing. I guess this thought was on my mind a lot was that perhaps there's a lot about God that I tend to, it's not perhaps there is a lot about God that I tend to sort of create these rules and boundaries around. And what I was discovering was that uh, just when I thought that I had something figured out, I I realized that I was, I just didn't know anything. (laughs) Not that I didn't know anything, but it felt like that in comparison. Right. You know, right. It's kind of like you, you know, you're going on a long run and you think you're almost at the end and then you come around a turn and it's, you know, you've got 20 more miles and you, you know, and I, and I feel, and, and that was sort of the process for me. And I, I started to get really excited about that, to think that whatever word I could come up with to describe God, that God is even more than that one word. So if God is good, then God is, he's good and he's more than good. If God mm-hmm. is faithful, then God is faithful, but he's also more than faithful. That like our words don't actually 
fully articulate um, just the depth of who God is. And I mean, you think about it this way too, even in like in meaningful relationships, spouse, your kids, there's just sometimes I find this, the old, the longer my wife and I've been together, I still write other songs too that aren't, um, you know, songs about love too. And there are times where I find it's, it's like, man, I feel like I'm running out of words and ways to describe just how much mm-hmm. I care for my wife. And I think that is true and has been true for me in my journey of just learning and discovering more about who God is. And that's really what this song is, is, is getting at is that there is a depth to who God is that we could spend our entire lives just wanting to know more and we'll, there still will be more to, to discover. Like Zach, I've had personal experiences where I've placed rules and boundaries on God, and I soon discovered I didn't know anything in comparison to him. And as you take in more of this song, keep an ear out for this lyric that I just absolutely love. It says, what a thrill letting go to admit what we don't know. And then this from the bridge, more than we ever thought, we couldn't dream it up. We'll spend forever with you. We won't find the edges of you. I hope that encourages you. I hope that you are in awe of a God that you can't define, figure out, or can fit into any man-made box. Any God that can fit in your box is no God at all. And I can't help but go to the book of Job and explore what we learn there. Now, Job and his friends spend 30-some-odd chapters trying to figure God out or more accurately, trying to prove that they know exactly what God is like. And let me just say, God has something to say about that. (laughs) In fact, he pretty much says, I'm everything you just said and more. And and I hope you take the challenge to read the book of Job for yourself. And that is going to be taking the bites of reading in context and read and keep on reading. It is a longer book and it will take more of a commitment than, say, a four chapter letter from Paul. But you can do it. And now you have a reason to do so. Use this song as inspiration. So the book employs several classifications of literary artistry. This can make it difficult to read, but difficult like a classic novel or, you know, something that's worth the effort every single time because it's so well written. Now, because this book is a little bit more complex, it would be a good idea to take the bite of consulting an overview first. Now, again, bite stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercise. These are just habits I use to keep my time in God's Word effective and varied. And when you read in your study Bible, as I did, that the classifications of literary artistry include lawsuit, lament, and disputation, it may send you to the dictionary like it did me. Lawsuit, I get, right? As you read the text, there are many examples of bringing a case before God using very legal language, lawsuit language. Lament, I get. I've studied the Psalms. I've heard of lament before. I have lamented uh, to God before. Job endures terrible suffering, so I'm not at all put off by his lament seems kind of reasonable to me, to be honest. But dis- disputation, I I have no idea what that means. So dictionary.com to the rescue. And basically, it means the act of disputing or debating. Ah, well, why couldn't my study Bible have just said debate? But yes, I see that in the text. Job debates with his friends. But the book is not entirely lawsuit, lament, or debate. And so that is what lends itself to be literary art but also means you're going to have to work a little harder to understand it. I love what my my study Bible says about it. It says the book's impact 
transcends its components. And it also says there is no other work dealing with the problem of human suffering in light of the transcendence and goodness of God that approaches the theological depth, literary sophistication, and practical application of the book of Job. All right, but we're not really going to focus on suffering this week, even though that's a huge theme in the book of Job. Stuart and Fee in their book, How to Read the Bible Book by Book, uh, it's a favorite outside resource of mine. I'll link to it in the show notes and and the study Bible that I used this week. I'll link to both of those in the show notes. But they say, the author raises the question, where is wisdom found, which in the end is powerfully answered in terms of God alone. So as Zach said, every word that we have to describe God is insufficient to fully articulate his fullness. As it relates to his wisdom, he is wiser than wise, and yet we argue with him, and we live contrary to his revealed ways. But uh, I digress. So as you read Job for yourself, you will see that Job indeed is innocent, but his friends don't know that. And honestly, he's not He's pretty sure he's innocent. He makes the argument that he's innocent, um, but his friends don't really know that. And that's part of the masterful artistry of the literary work. It adds drama. We know that he's innocent, but his friends don't. It adds drama. It reflects our own um, unknowingness in the midst of tragedy and suffering, our own lack as it relates to complete wisdom and understanding that only lies with God. So even though we have um, greater understanding of the backstory when we read Job, um, as the reader, I think we can relate to Job and to even the people in the in the room that they do not, that they lack complete knowledge. All right. So in chapters 38 through 41, Job appears, uh, God appears to Job in a storm to answer his many questions. Or does he? Because as you read God's response to Job, you discover that he doesn't answer any of Job's questions, the ones that have to do with why he has to endure such suffering. The truth of the matter is that God simply reveals more of himself. God's answer to our questions is more of himself. And so many times we want to know why, as if that will somehow make things better. But in God's rebuke of Job, he is not rebuked as one suffering for sin. uh, God's not saying, here's what you did wrong and here's why I'm upset with you. But he is humbled before the Lord as one whose ill-advised speech had obscured God's purpose. Let's look at some of it together before we head over to the New Testament for a bit as well. First of all, Job Job experiences deep loss and tragedy, and he is, again, wrestling with why. And he laments in chapter 3, verse 11, Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me? Oh, why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. So do not doubt the depth of Job's suffering. This is a serious lament that indicates a serious level of pain. And then his friends try to help with suggestions like this. Well, verse 8, as for me, I would seek God and to God would I commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. 
Now, all of these things that his friend points out are completely true about God. (laughs) In fact, it points to this idea that God is everything and more, right? Great things, unsearchable things, marvelous things without number. Yes, everything and more. The thing is, Job was seeking God. Just in that moment, God wasn't answering. And so Job's friend's response was not helpful or kind. It was truthful, but it wasn't timely. And I bring this up because I don't want to be flippant in my encouragement to you that you meditate on this idea that God is everything and more. I don't want it to present it as some sort of like magical solution. I don't want to act like your current suffering doesn't matter or that the solution is so simple as just ask God to take it from you. Surely you've done that if you are in the midst of tragedy and suffering. And we discover here in the book of Job a truth like we discovered last week. God may have a purpose for your suffering. And sometimes that is just so hard to accept. I do want to press in and encourage myself and you to acknowledge that there are things we don't know. God is sovereign and we can be thankful that his wisdom eclipses all our shallow understanding, as our lyrics say. So Job goes on to say things like in chapter 6, verse 2, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. (laughs) He was really, really suffering. He's really hurting. And his friends are, in the words of Stuart and Fee, they are have-it-all-together theologians who believe their wisdom sufficient to understand the ways of God in the world. And in chapter 9, Job acknowledges a need for an arbiter. He even calls out for a redeemer in chapter 19. This is, by the way, a direct foreshadowing of Christ. Not to mention that Job himself is an innocent sufferer, like Christ was, caught up in the tension between good and evil, just like Jesus. Okay, so now chapter 28 is interesting to me because Job pontificates about all the valuable things that can be mined and manipulated by man. But then he asks this question in verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. And then he continues on in that chapter in verse 20. From where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, for he knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding." Okay, so now at this point in my study, I got a little distracted because I recognized that truth there in verse 28 was found in other places in scripture where it says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding. So I took the bite of following the cross references and it took me over to Deuteronomy chapter four, where Moses was begging the people to obey God's ways. In verse five, he says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse six, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. 
who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So here we learn that wisdom is obedience to God's ways and God's ways reflect wisdom and understanding that man does not have on his own. Now, the same truth in Job points to an acrostic psalm of praise in Psalm 111. Now, acrostic means uh, basically this particular psalm, each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Of course, I read in English, so I don't see that. But Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So here we learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the very thing that God taught to Job. And that's the answer to the question, where do we even begin to discover wisdom? With the fear of the Lord, which reminds me of a similar teaching in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So now we've added an additional nugget of truth and direction. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All right, rabbit trail complete complete. Let's go back to Job to gain knowledge of the Holy One, because that's just what I mentioned earlier. God's ways are to reveal more of himself as an answer to our questions. We want insight, do we not? Then we need to set our faces and our efforts toward gaining knowledge of the Holy One. And where is the best place for that? In his revealed word. Now, I can't read all of it, but God's response to Job is profound. So you have this whole book of Job where Job's talking and his friends are talking. And then now towards the end, God speaks. In verse uh, chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, I love what my study Bible teaches here. They label this kind of speech verbal irony. Now, the way I just read it, you might have considered it sarcastic. I used to consider it a little bit sarcastic as I would read it. I can kind of hear that tone in God's voice. But they teach that verbal irony is a figure of speech in which the intended meaning is the opposite of the literal sense conveyed by the words used. Irony becomes sarcasm when it is uttered with the intention of distressing or hurting whoever is addressed. So it's not God's intention to distress or hurt Job, but rather just to strip away all his pride to bring him a fresh perspective through this verbal irony. Now, at some point, Job slaps his hand across his mouth. And um, I mean, you know, he's like four emojis, right? Um, in, In chapter 40, verse four, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. But God's not done. He keeps going on in chapter 40, verse six, answering him again out of the whirlwind, asking him to dress for action like a man. Once again, I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? 
Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe clothe yourself with glory and splendor. And again, of course, he's still speaking ironically. He no one can answer him. <laughs> he has all the answers. We cannot condemn him. He is he is not to be condemned. We are not right and we do not have an arm like God. And we have no ability to adorn ourselves with majesty and dignity and glory and splendor. That belongs to him alone. Which leads us now to Romans 11, where Paul is warning the Romans not to be wise in their own sight. So we're still talking about wisdom. It's applied to a very specific situation in Romans 11, but just keep it big picture here for a second. Because he goes on to teach some things that might be a little confusing, but ends with this. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, Paul's like our lyricist, isn't he? Seems to be grasping for human words that cannot properly convey the wisdom of God. So let's take the bite of making a list. What three um, adjectives did he use? Deep, unsearchable, and inscrutable. All right, let's take the bite of defining a word that you may not use often, like inscrutable, which is incapable of being investigated, analyzed, or scrutinized, impenetrable, not easily understood, mysterious, and unfathomable. Everything and more, don't you think? Now, Paul ends his argument this way, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Which leads me back to Job for one last thought from my study Bible. The reader learns that Job suffered not because he was one of the worst of men, but because he was one of the best and that his ordeal glorified his God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. God is everything and more. To him be glory forever. I'm humbly reminded that his glory is all that matters in the end. So what's next? We'll read the book of Job. I I know it's a big ask, but I also know that it's worth it. It flows together well. It will benefit you again to read or watch an overview of the book uh, to best know how to read this book filled with poetry and prose and irony and drama and all the things. Focus your attention on the question, where is wisdom found? Follow the cross references to gain insight from the whole of scripture and then peek in at Paul's teaching at the end of Romans 11 in light of what you've studied. Now, while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. You can check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you followed the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website, michellekneezat.com, then I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes of all the scriptures I use, links to resources I use in my personal study that I don't even mention on the podcast. So my featured free resource for email subscribers this week is a one-page PDF of my top five bites. You can get started moving beyond merely reading scripture, start interacting with it, and use this tool to help. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. Now with that in mind, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently like Sierra from Georgia, Kay from Alabama, Faith from Georgia, Andrew from Pennsylvania, Courtney from Louisiana, and Princess from Hawaii. Welcome. 
Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website, michellekneesat.com. Through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, you can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, can you do that today? Head over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. If you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 431. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.